our uh, life groups. There we go. So we are going to be continuing tonight in this series on overcoming temptation. Tonight we're going to be talking specifically about the three phases of temptation. Now, I apologize, but yes, I am kind of comparing us to mice today, if that's all right. But um, we are, of course, all in this experiment trying to find out how exactly to avoid the cheese. Amen? Hallelujah. Isn't that what we're all just trying to do? Praise God, to avoid the cheese. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, I almost named this avoiding the cheese, but uh, I decided decided not to. We'll, we'll stick with the three phases of temptation. But um, I do have just a few facts that I want to give about temptation. I don't know what's going on here. All right. Thank you, Brother Kavan. All right, but we are going to be going through a few facts about temptation <clears throat> before we get too, too uh, far here. Now, this was the point we made a couple weeks ago. This was the entire lesson was this one right here. The best way to overcome temptation is to avoid it. That's the best way to overcome it. If I don't have to fight, this temptation, fight the devil, fight whatever it is, fight myself, then that's the most ideal situation, obviously. Ephesians 4.27, this is in the ESV version. It says, uh, it's very similar in the King James Version. This is just a little bit more clear. It says, give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, That should be our first uh, goal when we wake up in the morning, I'm not going to give the devil an opportunity. That means if I know, if I walk down, I got three choices, path A, path B, and path C. Path A and path C have opportunities where the devil can trip me up. I need to walk down path B, right? Because I need to give no opportunity. I need to avoid temptation by all means. Uh, and again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Matthew 6.13. This isn't just, okay, well, that sounds like it's a weak answer. No, the Lord actually told us to pray about this. The Lord told us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. He said to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He said we need to pray specifically, God, help me to know which path to take. Help me to know not to go down path A or path C, God, but lead me down path B, hallelujah, so that I do not face temptation. We can absolutely pray that and expect the Lord to answer those prayers and to protect us from those things. And I wanted to bring that up again because this is such a solid and important point. Again, to overcome temptation, the most successful way to overcome temptation. After this, this is 100% proof. If you're going to overcome temptation, you want to know 100% you're not going to fall into that temptation, then you don't face the temptation, right? 
Um, after that, everything else we're going to be talking about today, you're putting yourself at risk, if you will, even by going down that road or having to face it. Now, the reason I'm saying this, though, is because we know that even though we pray to avoid temptation, we may set up standards in our lives to avoid temptation. At the end of the day, we will never fully avoid or outgrow temptation as long as we're in this world. So we do the best that we can to avoid it, but at the end of the day, we have to anticipate that, the, that we're going to face some amount of temptation. John 16 and 33, it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. That word tribulation means pressure. In the world, you're going to have something, a weight on you. There's going to be a constant pressure to live according to the world, to, to uh, avoid your faith, to do all these things. He says, but be of good cheer. Even though I know I have to face tribulation and temptation and trials, I know the Lord has overcome the world. Hallelujah. So if I can stay connected to him then praise God, I know I can do it. So I just want to inform you. Now, I, I understand that there's others who are here who are much older than me. I'm sure today you will just back me up when I say this. You cannot outgrow temptation. Uh, and again, that obviously means nothing on, in a, a, a physically mature state, but in a spiritually mature state, the most spiritually mature person I know is still tempted from time to time. You will never outgrow temptation. As long as you've got this right here, you're going to be tempted. <laughs> as long as we live in the world, we are going to be tempted. So we will not outgrow temptation. We must learn how to overcome temptation. That's what all of, all of our walk with God is. It's learning how to overcome temptation. Even Paul himself recognized that when I want to do what is right, I can't do it. I have a hard time doing it because my flesh is constantly trying to draw me and make me do what is wrong. Even Paul himself recognized that he had a bout or a struggle with his, his flesh. We will always, as long as we're in this world, have a struggle with our flesh. That doesn't mean, however, that you have to be a sinner. And that doesn't mean, however, you have to fall into it. And it absolutely doesn't mean that you have to live with your habits because God is able to deliver you from all of your habits and addictions. Hallelujah. I, I got one amen on that one. God is able to deliver you from all your habits, all your addictions. I've seen it time and time again. I'm a recipient of the Lord's help. When I had to overcome things, God will deliver you. Oh, come on. Somebody shout, God will deliver me. God will deliver me. Praise God. Why? Because he was an overcomer and you've got the spirit of God living inside of you. Maybe you weren't an overcomer before. Now you've got the spirit of God in you and he's an overcomer. Therefore, you're an overcomer. You will put this world under your feet. You will put temptation under your feet. You will put sin under your feet because you are an overcomer. In the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. That feels good. Somebody shout, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. 
I'm an overcomer in the Lord. I'm an overcomer. Now, again, I keep just undoing everything that, that I say because now let me undo this. Although we are to avoid, although we know we overcome temptation, the fact is today the Bible's very clear that the crown of life is forged in the fires of temptation. The crown of life is forged in the fires of temptation. James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Wait a minute. That's not a word we would probably use to talk about somebody going through temptation, right? What do you mean blessed? Don't you mean, you know, in agony is the man? Dreadful is the man, sorrowful, de- in depression. How can you say blessed is the man that endureth temptation? Now, it's not the temptation that blesses him. It's the overcoming that blesses him. Blessed is the man that endureth. It's the enduring temptation that makes a man blessed. Today, if you want the blessings of God and you're facing temptation, then guess what? God's setting you up for that blessing. He's saying, oh, I put this temptation. uh, We're going to discuss it, but God didn't put it there. But I allowed this temptation in your life. Now, if you'll endure it, you'll receive the blessings of God. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You know the true marker of somebody who loves the Lord? It's somebody who endures temptation. Somebody who can face temptation and overcome it. Hallelujah. I know that's big. That's heavy today. But let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, we can overcome it. We can endure temptation. You can inherit that crown of life. Praise the Lord. So, again, Pastor, if that's the case, why don't we, you know, walk towards temptation? Well, the Bible says not to tempt the Lord, right? So I'm not going to put myself into temptation. I'm going to avoid temptation as much as I can. But when the Lord allows it to happen, I'm going to endure it, and I'm going to overcome it. Praise God. Because God may allow temptation, but he is not the source of temptation. James 1.13, this is the very next verse of Scripture. James 1.12, James 1.13, we're staying here in James 1. But it says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. I know a lot of people who have, you know, they said, oh, pastor, you know, God must have really have a great calling on my life because look at all the temptation he's throwing at me. Now, I'm not here to deny God has a great calling on your life. <laughs> Praise God. But what I'm seeing here is that I'm seeing that, that God doesn't want you to be tempted He may allow it, but he's not out there putting temptation in your life and making your life harder. 
God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Sometimes we use this excuse, well, God allowed it to happen, so I must endure it. No, sometimes we just put ourselves down the path of temptation, right? We said it a couple weeks ago. Sometimes we pray, Lord, lead me not in temptation, and then we willfully walk into temptation. So God does not tempt us. This isn't God that's doing it. Uh, it could be the devil that's doing it. It may just be your flesh. It may just be the environment that you found yourself in. But this is not God making it happen. The fact is, is this is the lack of God that's caused you to fall into temptation. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. These three phases of temptation, it all begins with the lack of God. So James chapter 1, verse 14, the very next passage of Scripture, it says, but every man is tempted. So he's describing that temptation right now. Every man is tempted. I, first of all, I think it's important to make this note, every man is tempted. Let's just take that. Every man is tempted. I'm tempted. You're tempted. We're all tempted. Every man is tempted and woman is tempted. Praise God. We're all tempted. Praise the Lord. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. He's trying to describe this pathway of temptation and sin. What happens when I begin to be drawn into temptation and what ends when I fall into temptation and sin. So this pathway that he's describing here, the three phases of sin is, number one, he says that we are drawn away. I see that as becoming distracted. If you could put up that map. The three phases of temptation is first, I am distracted. Secondly, I become attracted. And then thirdly, I become entrapped. So distract, attract, entrap. That's the devil's game plan. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, had to lay down my... Uh, uh, traps for mice, but the first thing you do, yep, <laughs> I got it, yep, the first thing you do is you try to find out where they're walking, right? And you put it someplace where you can easily distract them. They're walking along, they're trying to find this or find that. Oh, look, there's something shiny, <laughs> Here's something shiny. If you're a fisherman in this place, you know that sometimes you don't even need bait. You just need something shiny on your reel. And fish are attracted to it. They get distracted from what they're doing, and their attention is drawn or attracted to that thing. And then at that point, you know, curiosity killed the cat. Well, at that point, curiosity be begins to overwhelm them. Oh, but once they see what is on that trap, that little chunk of yellow goodness. And they begin to get a wolf of that cheese. 
even though they think, oh man, this is kind of awkward little thing here. This is, this looks a little dangerous. I don't know who put this contraption here, but man, does that cheese look good. Hallelujah. Man, does that cheese smell good. At that point, it becomes more than just an attraction. Now his entire body is beginning to yearn for that cheese. He's entrapped in his own desires, and he can't help but to go and taste the cheese. So this is the three phases of temptation. Distract, to draw your attention away from God. Attract. To draw your attention toward a carnal desire or something desirable. And then finally, entrap. To entice, to tantalize the senses. To trap your focus to where you cannot break that. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about, we were talking about how, man, when you're really enticed, it's like a beam, you know. It's like you, you, everything else goes dark, you know. Everything around it goes dark. All you can see is that thing. You, just, you can't even. You may even have mind thoughts over here. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But but you're still you're you're connected into this beam, and it's difficult to break from that. So we're going to talk about those three things. But before I do, let me, let me also clarify the rest of James 1 and talk about the rest of this process. After distract and attract and entrap, we know that when we actually act upon our lust, that is when we sin. Becoming distracted is not a sin. Becoming attracted is not a sin. Even being entrapped is not a sin. It's when we actually partake in the sin or in the thing, the desirable thing that is against the will of God for us, that is when it becomes a sin. Am I right? We have to act upon it. I know some people come, oh, pastor, I was so tempted to do this. Will you pray for me and ask God to forgive you, forgive me? So, you know, you were tempted but you didn't act. That, that sounds like a victory to me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you're tempted, but you didn't act upon it, that's not sin. That's victory, brothers and sisters, because you're going to be tempted. Hallelujah. It's only when you partake that it becomes a sin. And here's the thing. Sin happens at consent. Sin happens at consent. You cannot be forced to sin. You cannot be forced to disobey God. At some point, you had to choose yes. Now, you may have been drawn because it's an addiction or because of this or because of that, but at the end of the day, consent means I must say yes to sin. See, this is the problem, especially in our culture, is we're trying to minimize that right there. We want to make it seem like people, you know, the seductress is the, the, the source of it. I shouldn't be held accountable. Look at what she's wearing. Now, no doubt, 
Women need to, you know, don't, you don't want to make your brother less, and, and men, you don't want to make your, you know, your sister less. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible for what I do and do not do. And yes, the devil's going to tempt you. The world's going to tempt you. There's going to be seductress, and there's going to be people who are trying to convince you to do what is wrong. At the end of the day, though, I am responsible for Aaron Meehan. And I must say no. You must say no. Somebody say, I got to say no. I got to say no. Because it's when I say yes. And, and let me tell you, not giving an answer is a yes. Not giving an answer, you're just as much responsible and liable for your actions by not giving an answer determining, well, I guess, or not, not, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not going to say yes. We'll just see how it plays, plays out. That is consent. We must say no. We must make a stand against the devil and our flesh and make sure that we are not consenting to temptation. Is this all right here today? All right, so let's break this down. Let's break down that first phase, distract to draw your attention away from God. Let me give you a little scenario, and we'll just follow this scenario throughout the entire thing. You're walking along. You just left church. You're still floating on clouds of His glory when all of a sudden, boom, you sit on your couch. (laughs) Distraction. You sit on your couch and you just let yourself be taken away. Let yourself just fall and sink deep into that couch, uh, that place of rest. Certainly there's nothing wrong with that, right? Certainly there's nothing wrong with finding relaxation. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. But we have to understand and remember that the devil is going to try to find any foothold he can. The very moment you let down your guard, that's when the devil's going to attack. Galatians 5.16, and I'm hoping maybe I could do a series or another lesson on this during this series. We will see. But this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's saying walk in the Spirit. If I can keep my mind and my heart in the Lord, then I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a lot of ideas and thoughts. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, verse 17, it does clarify it. He says in verse 17, the flesh lusteth against the spirit or after things that the spirit does not want. And the spirit wants things that the flesh does not want. These things are contrary the one to the other. They're the opposite so that you cannot do the things that you would. Or or you have this constant battle so that you can't actually fulfill the plan of God in your life. He says, so what you've got to do is you've got to do what the Spirit wants. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. It means living our lives doing what the Spirit wants me to do, not what my flesh wants me to do. Amen. Praise God. Living my life constantly 
pursuing God, constantly walking in the ways of the Lord, constantly doing things like praying and Bible reading and going to church and talking to people who are good for me, Christians who are good for me, encouraging one another and and listening to preaching and listening to godly music. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You're feeding the Spirit inside of you. Hallelujah. Those of you who've been to Discover Purpose, you know we talk about the the uh, seesaw conflict, right? There's a great lie when it comes to the seesaw conflict. The lie is that the seesaw conflict is you're going to have equal footing, right? You think, okay, me and my buddy, we're going to go get on the seesaw, and we're just going to do, you know, have a nice little time. Well, if you've ever done the seesaw with somebody who weighs just a little bit more than you, you know that's not actually how it goes. Really, it's lopsided. And if they're, if they're bigger than you, I was always the bigger one, obviously. So I was in control. Hey, you're going to be sitting up there until I say you're coming down, right? <laughs> so I would you know, kick myself up and they'd go down for a second and depends on how small and squanny they were, but they'd go down a little ways and then they'd go back, flying back up, sometimes falling off, right? Hallelujah. Because that's the lie of the seesaw conflict. It's whoever is bigger controls the other. And it's the same with the flesh and the spirit. Whoever I feed the most is the one that's going to be in control of my life and my heart and my mind. If all I do is feed the flesh, my flesh is going to control the spirit. If all I do is feed the spirit, my spirit's going to control the flesh. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I got to walk in the spirit. First Peter 5 and 8 this, I know this seems like this is such a heavy thing, a heavy burden. It is. Your walk with God is this serious. First Peter 5, 8, this isn't the only scripture that says it. It says over and over again in the New Testament, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's saying, don't sit down. Don't be, t- take a load off. I'm not saying you can't relax and, and sit down and eat a meal or do this or do that. But what he's trying to say is, is you know when you are going to be tempted. You know when you open up yourself. And he's saying, don't allow it to happen even when you are resting. Make sure you keep one eye on the devil. Even when you're relaxing, make sure you're still keeping your mind on the Lord. He's saying, be sober. That means be keeping your mind straight on what you need to do. Don't get distracted about this calls and and that calls and and this issue and that issue and this relationship and that relationship. Keep your eye on the prize, which is the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ and be vigilant. Keep walking after it and don't stop. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor, that's just too much. It's too much to try to do that. Hey, I get it. It's a struggle we all got to face, but it's a struggle. That's why the Bible says it's a fight, but it also says it's the good fight. Oh, hallelujah. 
Praise God. If there's ever a fight worth fighting, it's this one right here. The fight for our souls. Hallelujah. The fight for our salvation. The fight to stay holy and righteous and not fall for the devil's tricks. This is the good fight. Hallelujah. This is the fight worth fighting. I've been privileged to know several veterans in my days. There may even be some here today. Hallelujah. And I'm sure many of them felt they fought a good fight or they thought that the fight was good. And I've met some who thought, man, I just don't even know why we were fighting. I went and did this and did that, destroyed my life just to find out it was for some politician's greed or whatever. I don't want to sound anti-American. That's certainly not what I'm trying to do. But what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we fight for things and it's not even that good. But this, this is the good fight. This is the fight that is fighting for the ultimate good. And that is my place in the kingdom of heaven. That is a, a sober lifestyle where I can have a family and I can do the will of God and not be constantly fighting temptation and sin. This is the good fight. Somebody say, it's a good fight. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, it warns us. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The moment you get out of the fight, the moment you let your guard down, all of a sudden, I fall. He thinks that he's saying, oh, I, I, can, I can take the night off, certainly. <laughs> Anybody ever thought that? And man, you ended up in a gutter somewhere. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not ended up in a gutter, but... Spiritually, I did. Praise God. I just take the night off. Because, look, I've been standing strong. Boy, wasn't that a good service today. I think I'm just going to sit back and just enjoy myself for a while. I, I'm saying that because, I, honestly, I've, I've had to recognize when the devil tempts me the most. It's right after church on Sundays. I go home, and I just want to unload and just sit down for a minute. And all of a sudden, that's when temptation kicks in. Because it's when you think that you're standing. When the devil comes in and says, oh, yeah, you think you're big and bad, huh? <laughs> you, you think that you can take the day off, huh? We can't grow so comfortable in our walk with God that we think we are unable to fall. You can't get so comfortable in your walk with God or, or think you're just so strong in your walk with God that that's it. No, ever watchful, ever vigilant. Matthew 26, 41, again, I told you, it says this time and time again, watch and pray, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Why? Because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Hey, I don't care how strong of a service that was. I don't care how many hours you were in the Spirit. Your spirit may be strong. <laughs> but when the flesh is weak, the flesh is weak. Hallelujah. 
When the flesh is weak, hey, if Jesus had to pray in order to overcome his flesh, so do we. Amen. Praise God. We got to watch. We got to pray. Not give it, give it a moment's notice. We got to walk in the Spirit, as I already said. We got to live this one day at a time. Every day we got to make up our minds today. I'm going to live for God. Every day we got to wake up in the morning and think to myself, today, Lord God, I'm yours. Today I'm going to live in, a, in victorious. Come on, sometimes we get so caught up trying to fight tomorrow's enemy that today's enemy conquers us. We got to do this one day at a time. The Bible says sufficient as the day. Somebody said that. Maybe that was my friend here. Sufficient as the day is, is that temptation or that, that struggle. Sufficient as the day is your strength. That means every day, every day. Every, there was a reason why in the Old Testament the manna would not last over 24 hours. There is a reason why Jesus or God said every morning you got to go out and gather that manna. Because sufficient is the day, the strength to make it through. Every day I got to go get more manna. Every day I got to get on my hands and knees and call on the name of the Lord. I can't take a day off. Every day I got to do it. I don't care if I prayed two hours yesterday. I still got to get down on my knees and pray again today. Every day. I'm trying to help you to overcome temptation because this is going to help you not to get distracted. Luke 9, 23. You guys know this passage of Scripture. We talk about it a lot. He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me every day. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him every day. Every day. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ our Lord. I die daily. Everybody say every day. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. For which cause we faint not, that's it right there, right? Oh, that I wouldn't faint, not for a second, for which cause I we faint not. But though our outward man may perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day by day by day. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My son, he, one of his favorite songs is Day by Day. Hallelujah. From the old band, DC Talk. Praise God. Day by day, hallelujah, I got to live for the Lord. Day by day, I got to pray to the Lord. Day by day, you overcome sin day by day. I know some people, and again, I know sometimes we get into this mindset. Sunday morning I come, God delivers us from our sin. Absolutely, he does. But then we go home and we don't pray and we don't do this, we don't do that. And we say, well, I don't understand, Pastor. God delivered me from sin. Why am I still falling into it? Right? And so, well, yeah, God delivered you on Sunday, but did you get deliverance on Monday? 
What about Tuesday? Did you get deliverance on Tuesday? How about Wednesday? And you know what? I know this seems like, man, that's a lot. After a while, you're not going to need deliverance so bad. After a while, your prayers are not going to have to be so intense. The struggle's going to f- fade away, but you still got to keep on it. Day by day by day by day, Lord, deliver me from evil. Lord, lead me not in temptation. Lord, help me today to stay sober. Lord, help me today to fight the, the good fight. Lord, help me today. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't we just talk to the Lord for a moment? Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Sufficient is the day. Oh, I thank you, Lord God. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So the first step, I can't become distracted. I got to keep on pursuing God. The second phase of temptation says that we are drawn away to our lusts. That means as I'm distracted from my walk with God, drawn away from my walk with God, I'm drawn toward this sin, this enticement, this carnal desire. I'm attracted toward it. Attract, to draw your attention toward a carnal desire or something desirable. So I just got home. I sat down on the couch. I'm now distracted. I just start flipping through the channels, and a commercial comes on. And you hesitate. Wait a minute. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm distracted from my walk with God. And then all of a sudden, now I'm attracted to what I see. Or maybe it's a song that attracts you. Or maybe it's a person, a relationship that attracts you. Something that you know you shouldn't do. Something you know you should avoid. And I've already talked so much about distraction, but this is the problem, is that when we're distracted, we are so easily attracted to the things of this world. And we're so easily distracted to the desires of the flesh. I oftentimes, and, and again, I want to be, be frank with you. I want to be straight with you. Often for me, it's not even like, well, I just, I just want to go do that. Often I'm so worn out and tired that sometimes I even get an idea like I, I should reward myself with just doing something. Isn't that what, it, what you think? Aren't those the thoughts? I'm depressed. I'm under pressure. I've had a hard day. I owe it to myself to have some pleasure or to have some fun or to do this, or to do that. The Bi- or not, not the Bible. This isn't the Bible. Don't misunderstand me. This is not the Bible. But a common saying is this. An empty mind is the devil's playground. And it's true. You get your mind empty, the devil's going to cause havoc in there. He's going to fill it with a whole bunch of junk, and he's going to do everything he can to fill that void. 
even when Christ is not at the forefront of our minds, and this isn't to claim that that somehow we're always going to be thinking Scripture and we're always going to be in a, in a meditative state of prayer. But even in those times where He's not at the forefront of our minds, we have to train ourselves to walk carefully in order to still live for God and do His will. Ephesians 5, verse 15 It says, see then that ye walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means carefully or exactly. Not as fools, but as wise. What he's saying is, be very careful what you do on your day off. When you're relaxing. And I know I just, again, I just talked about it. You shouldn't take a day off. I think we understand we got to keep a level of spirituality even when we rest and relax. But in those times of resting and relaxing, we got to walk carefully. We got to be careful about what we watch. We got to be careful about what we listen to and, and who we invite into our life. What you look at opens the door to temptation. We got to be careful of what we see. The Bible says that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Hallelujah. If you want to give the devil a straight shot to your soul, just watch whatever. Let your eyes watch any movie, television show, anything that you wanted to watch. Just do it because that's given the devil full reign in your heart and in your mind. Psalms 101 and 3, the psalmist wrote and said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Hallelujah. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He said, I'm not going to allow the people who are doing wrong to draw me in. I'm not going to allow it to cleave to me. I'm not going to allow myself to be attracted to this thing. Now, again, I, I, I know it seems like everything I'm saying, I'm then going opposite. But here's the fact of the matter. We got to keep no wicked things before our eyes. But what happens when we do come across something? What happens when we do see something or hear something or or whatever. There is another line. I don't know who the author is, but it says this. You can't keep birds from flying in the tree, but you can keep them from building a nest. So you're going to have those thoughts. You're going to see things that you're not supposed to see. Birds are going to come flying into your mind. But if you let them remain, they're going to build a nest there. You can't help but to be attracted. Come on, can we be honest here today? Can we Look, the Bible isn't shy about this. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin. That's what the Bible says. For a season, right? The Bible says there's pleasure of sin for a season. We know that it's followed up with depression and anger and regret and, and all those things. But there's pleasure in those things. That's why the birds are going to come in. You can't help sometimes but to look. But you don't let it stick. Don't let that thought that comes into your mind, well, what if I don't let it stick? Cast it out. 
There's a, a line, bounce your eyes. Praise God. And maybe this is, uh, I would say this is for the men, but, but ev- everything we know today, it tells us this isn't just for the men. Women too, you got to bounce your eyes. Something comes across the screen, a sign on the side of the road, a person not dressed right in the store. Walmart, praise God. <laughs> you bounce your eyes. You don't dwell on it. Look, your eyes are going to do it. Your eyes are going to be drawn to it. We, our flesh will be attracted to it. You cannot help it. You just got to turn your head and walk the other way. Hallelujah. Praise God. Turn your head. Bounce your eyes. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means I'm going to have thoughts and I got to bring it into captivity. I can't control what comes in, but I can control what I dwell on. Praise God. Come on now. Hallelujah. I can't control what comes in, but I can control what I dwell on. Well, how do I do that? I've had people say that. How do I do that? How do I control it once it's in there? Once I'm attracted, what do I do? In the midst of temptation, I've told you before, James 4 and 7, it says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hallelujah. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my key. This is my key, all right? I'm introducing you to, uh, you know, 20 years of trying to live for God fully like this. My key that I've discovered, it's worship and praise. Uh, and, And you've done it. Come on, we've all done it. Be in the midst of temptation. Oh, God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. You're still walking toward it. God, please help me. God, please help me. God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. God, please help me. And you'll say, well, what happened? Pastor, I was praying, and it was like nothing happened. Well, the Bible doesn't say pray to God. It says submit yourselves, therefore, to God. How can I submit myself as a servant better than to praise and worship and exalt him and say, God, I'm your servant. God, you're my master. God, you're my king. Oh, I tell you, the temptation will flee like that. It'll flee like that. Happens every time for me. I'm telling you, these are the secrets uh, of living for God successfully. Submit yourself, uh, therefore, to the Lord, and the devil will flee from you. Worship God. You get attracted. You know you're, you're starting to get tempted. Begin to worship God. The next thing is remind yourself of the Word of God. Remind yourself of the Word of God. Psalms 119 and 11, he says this. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I believe this works on two levels. Number one, he's declaring that I have studied the will of God. Therefore, I now know this is not right. I know this is a sin because I know the word of God. But I believe it also 
is, is a, a, a statement stating, because I know the word, word of God, because I know what the Bible says, it gives me strength to say no to sin. I would s- sincerely encourage you, if you're struggling, make yourself a list of scriptures concerning that specific sin. Even scriptures that just have encouraging words. Make yourself a list. Keep it in your pocket everywhere you go. And whenever you start feeling tempted, you just pull that piece of paper and you just read through them. Speak them out loud. Speak them out loud. Know that the Lord is with you and allow God to hold you. The next step after attraction, it's entrapment. To entra- entrap means to entice, to tantalize the senses, to trap your focus. I'm almost finished. Attraction isn't automatic attrapment. We can be attracted to something and again not be entrapped. That's why, again, we have to bounce our eyes. But we have to recognize the desires of our flesh. The desires of our flesh is toward that attraction. 1 John 2.16, it breaks it down. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the three areas of temptation. We are constantly being having to fight the lust of our flesh. Our flesh just naturally desiring certain things. Also the lust of our eyes. It's the desire for certain things that we do not have. That's not necessarily lusting towards things that are sinful, but simply lusting after my brother's possessions. Lusting after what I cannot have. And in the pride of life, that's the exaltation of self. My own desires, my own wants. These are three sources of sin in our life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I wish I had more time to break those apart and to, to describe them to you. But we see these three in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3 and 6. Says, and the one when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat it, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat it. So here's what the devil's going to try to do. He'll try to convince you on one of these three things. Either he'll try to convince you just to partake in what your flesh wants. And I recognize in this series that seems to be mostly what we're talking about, but we also want to draw, recognize the other things. He'll also try to convince you this is pleasant to the eyes. This is a good thing. This is what you want. This is going to help your life. And then the final, the pride of life. He's going to try to tell you that you deserve it. 
because of who you are. You deserve it. It's the pride of life. Praise God. It's these three areas that once we are attracted, the devil tries to entrap us in. Eve fell into entrapment. She was first attracted to the tree. That's why she was there at the first place. Why are you even talking to the devil? (laughs) Why are you even talking to a serpent walking around on legs? Don't talk to snakes, people. Especially ones who are walking around on legs and talking. Why are you even talk? Why are you even hanging out around the tree? I tell you, because she was attracted to it. And then once the devil convinced her, he talked her into it, he entrapped her by using these three things. He attracted her flesh, he attracted her eyes, and then he attracted her pride. We got to recognize these three things. These are entrapments that the devil, these are snares. They're nets that the devil will trap us in and make it very difficult for us to escape. So we come to our example. We got back home from church. We sat down in the nice big couch. We turned on the TV. All of a sudden, this commercial or maybe a TV show or whatever it may be turns on, and it's got something that we know we shouldn't watch, but we are attracted to it. Now you're in this moment. It's the moment of entrapment. You were in a weak spot. You fell quickly into this trap. Now you feel stuck. You're going to have to carry this out now. I mean, come on. You got to carry it out now. You're already trapped. You already tasted a little bit. Might as well finish off the whole bottle. You've already fallen. What's to say I'm not just going to, let me just finish this out. I'll start over again tomorrow. Can I tell you that's a lie of the devil. If you've fallen a little bit, you've been enticed a little bit, that doesn't mean you got to carry that out. Absolutely not. I say if you can take yourself, grab a hold of yourself and shake yourself and say, do not do this, Aaron. Do not fall anymore. Walk away right now. Get out of this thing. I tell you, you'll have the crown of life. You'll be rewarded from the Lord. That's the blessing of God that will come on you. Hallelujah. There's three lies of enticement. Number one, I'm not meant to overcome this temptation. I'm here. This is just who I am. Come on, you don't think that way here, sitting in the presence of God, listening to this sermon, but when you're in the midst of entrapment, that's in your brain. This is just who I am. This is it. This is just who I am. Let me tell you, that's a lie from the devil. I've never heard a greater lie than that right there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this. 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. What's that mean? It means everybody struggles. Everybody is tempted. Everybody has a hard time. This isn't just who you are. The devil's put that in your mind to convince you to just go ahead and do it. You're not that thing. You are not your sin. You are a child of God. You are called by God. You're not an alcoholic. Hallelujah. You're not addicted to pornography. You're not a liar. How do I know that? Hallelujah. Because just because you're tempted doesn't mean that's your identity. It's if you allow it to continue and follow through, makes it your identity. Look at this. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but with the temptation also makes a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. He's trying to say, listen, no temptation is too great to overcome. Boy, saying, Temptation itself does not mean this is who you are. Temptation is a way of life. But in every temptation, there is a way of escape in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lie number two, that answers it. I'm trapped, and there is no way out. That's what entrapment tries to convince you. I'm here. I got to follow through. Second Peter 2 and 9. Look at this. This is great. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. <laughs> Hallelujah, if you convince yourself there's no way out, then what you're doing is you're denying the power of God. Because the Lord knows how to pull you out of temptation. The Lord knows how to deliver you from that sin. The Lord knows, come on, he knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. I'm not trying to suggest it's going to be easy, but I am telling you that when you're in the midst of it and the devil starts convincing you, you just got to carry it out. You remind him, the Lord knows how to deliver me. There is a way of escape. I do not have to fall for this. Praise God. And the third lie is I got to go through this by myself because of the shame of what I'm doing. The devil knows that if he can keep you from calling somebody, then he can keep you in that sin. Now, again, I've already told you, you got to call out to the Lord. you got to worship. you got to praise God. But I'm also telling you, this is the third lie of entrapment. It's convincing you you're alone in this. This is just what you have to endure. It's not true. The truth is, every Christian struggles, and this isn't God's judgment on you. 1 Peter 5 and 8 We've already read this, but it says be sober and vigilant because your devil, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing with this understanding that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That means my brother understands. 
My sister gets it. You, you don't have to be ashamed of your temptation and your struggle. Listen, I'd rather you call me. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your position is. I don't care if you're a preacher if you're, or if you just sit on the pew. I don't care. I'd rather you call me and say, Pastor, I've fallen. I've messed up. I need your help than for you to just sit there in your sins. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to come up behind you, and I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to grab your arm and say, it's all right. Trust me, I've fallen too. I've messed up too. We're going to make it together we're gonna fight this thing together so these are three lies hallelujah the three lies is you're not meant to overcome this temptation this is just who you are the second lie is you're trapped and there's no way out and the third lie is no one else understands what i'm going through these are all lies of the devil trying to get you to remain in that enticement. And again, I recognize, and I'm closing, if we could stand. I recognize that there's, there's this moment. I've been in it, I've been in it hundreds of times. Everybody here has been where we're just, our flesh is enticed. And like that tractor beam, it's just drawing us in and it feels like there's no getting out of it. The Bible tells us exactly what we need to do at that point. This might sound funny, but this is exactly what the devil tells us to do. Or I'm sorry, what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us to run. Literally, run. Flee. Run. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 6.18, if you could put up that list. 1 Corinthians 6.18, that final list. The Word of God contains at least four commands to flee. I hope it's up there. If not, that's all right. But 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 10.14, it says, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, flee also youthful lusts. 1 Timothy 6.11, it says, flee these things. We know when Joseph was in the house, just him and Potiphar's wife, even though she was close enough that she was able to grab a hold of his clothing. Now, I like to believe that he wasn't tempted, but he's alone in the house with a woman who's asked him constantly to lie with him, with her. At that point, any man, any woman probably would be tempted in a situation similar. But he fled. He ran out of the house. Says he even left his garment. He said, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's mindset. Brother and sister, that's the key right there. You just flee. When you're in that place, and I'm talking about you're just, you got that tractor beam, and the moment you get your senses back, you run away as fast as you can. I don't care if you literally got to leave the house. You leave the house. You book it out of there, and don't turn around. Hallelujah. I don't care how silly it looks. Your soul deserves more. Your walk with God deserves more. Finally, Proverbs 18 and 10. We don't got to run just anywhere. 
But it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous runneth into it and is safe. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, maybe this is stuff that you've, all, you've heard all this before. Maybe today these are the answers to your problems. I, I don't know. I've given you some great material to hopefully help you. But at the end of the day, let me just reassure you, he is a strong tower. You can run into it, and in the arms of God, you are saved. You don't have to worry about this temptation and that temptation. Hallelujah. He's a strong tower. Just get yourself to the Lord. Get yourself back into the arms of God. Get yourself back into the strong tower. I'm wondering if we could. Now I'm going to make this request. I want you to make sure nobody feels uncomfortable. Would everybody come down to this altar? Hallelujah, because I don't want one person thinking, look at him, he must be struggling with this. Everybody come down because we're all trying to fight against sin. And we're all fighting against temptation.